Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Why do we do what we do? Really, why, why a 30-hour famine? Why, why take 25 middle school to the Sierras? That's insane. Uh, why, why snow Thomas and have 1,000 people here? Why, why get up on a Sunday and come to church? You could be at home sleeping, finishing donuts right now. Why do we, why do we deny ourselves? Why do we try to deny ourselves? And think about others and put others first. It's so much more pleasant to just focus on yourself and forget others, isn't it? Why do we do what we do? Why? Why, why worship? Why give generously? Why serve passionately? Why love unconditionally? Why pray constantly? Why share your faith regularly? Why, 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 why? This series is why we do what we do. Why do we do it? And the first why today is, is because a lot's at stake in our lives. A lot is at stake. I'm not talking about lunch steak. I'm talking about, because I know that at this hour, you don't use any entree terms that can be misunderstood. No, there's forevers, forevers are on the table. And I want to today, I want to, Today, I want to talk about a topic I don't think I've ever talked about in the, in the Sunday service. But I want to do this today in such a way that maybe helps you understand the why behind why Christians do what they do. And I want to encourage you this week that with this, with what's happening in our world today, there are incredibly strong Christians in China incredibly strong Christians throughout the developing world that view what's happening on our planet, the coronavirus, as an opportunity for this why. They see it as an opportunity. You'll see what I mean here in a moment. And let me just tell you, if you're visiting today, this is your first time, you might be like, oh, dude, that was, what was that? That's okay. Let's, Let's pray and trust God to help us. Jesus You're our Lord. You sit at the right hand of God. You're our counselor, our guide, our teacher, our anointing. We just ask that you would speak. You would shepherd us, lead us towards quiet waters, towards still waters. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So why do we do what we do? Here's why. Because heaven is real. And so is hell. Heaven is real, and so is hell. What we know from the first century documents is that Jesus came from heaven. He died, and he went to a part of Sheol in the lower parts of the earth. Many scholars believe literally lower parts of the earth. And then he resurrected and went back to heaven. And the first century document that was written to the church at Ephesus describes this in this way. When he ascended, that's Jesus, on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. We'll talk about those captives that he took here in just a moment. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. Why do we do what we do? Because heaven is for real, and hell is too. 
Now, one young couple was getting ready for their spring wedding, like several couples in our church are getting ready. Anybody get ready for a wedding? Just, just the two of us. <laughs> and this, this uh, bride and her mother were having a conversation, and she said to her mom, Mom, uh, my, my fiancé and I, we're not on the same page. We have different values as it relates to heaven and hell. He doesn't believe in hell. What do I do? We're approaching our, our wedding day. And this very wise mother looked at her daughter and said, Hey, you marry him, and we will both make him a believer in hell. <laughs> total fun. Hey, total fun. Total fun. Okay? All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> was, that, was that unnecessary? <laughs> okay. Maybe. I'll get, I'll get a talking to later. Why do, we, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Heaven is real, and so is hell. Why we do what we do, I think, is best captured in this animated film, The Iron Giant. When there's this moment following this hunting expedition where the Iron Giant witnesses for sport this deer shot by two hunters, and he's distraught. The Iron Giant is dismayed that, that life would end. And his friend, his friend Hogarth, shares some eternal words that he learned from his mother. Some eternal words. And I want you to hear those words today because they reflect Jesus' words on life after death. Here it is. I know you feel bad about the deer, but it's not your fault. Things die. It's part of life. It's bad to kill, but it's not bad to die. You die? Well, yes, someday. I die? I don't know. You're made of metal, but you have feelings. And you think about things, and that means you have a soul. And souls don't die. Soul. Mom says it's something inside of all good things, and that it goes on forever and ever. Why do we do what we do? Because, say it with me, souls don't die. They don't die. In fact, Jesus' great-grandfather, one of the wisest men that ever lived, said that God has set eternity in the human heart. There's a desire for eternity. That's why we frequently will hear people say, in the next life, or um, rest in peace, or he or she's in a better place. God has set eternity in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning 
to end. So there's a lack of understanding, but there's this desire for eternity. It's, it's an actually an argument that it exists. The mere fact that we, we can't deal with death implies it wasn't meant to be. We weren't meant to die. Why do we do what we do? It's because souls don't die. Turn to your neighbor and say, souls don't die. Souls don't die. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, you either. Souls don't die. Don't leave anyone out. We don't want to leave anyone out here. So we're going to get a chance to look at a dialogue that Jesus, Jesus has at a religious leader's house. It starts in, in the first century document, Dr. Luke, chapter 14, and it goes all the way through chapter 16. And in this dialogue, Jesus talks about the fact that souls don't die. And he gives us kind of an, kind of a, an architectural plan or map of where souls used to go and how things have changed. I'm going to give you a little history of that since the resurrection. If you're a Christian, you believe that Christianity was created by the extraordinary event of the resurrection. So the context here is real simple. It's Jesus is at supper with religious leaders. He's emphasizing God's unchanging word. And I'll even comment on how the origin of life after death has its root in Genesis. And then Jesus is teaching God's word on Hades, translated hell. Say Hades. Hades, it's we translated hell. Say hell. You sworn church, terrible. Okay, so, <clears throat> so here's the text. Here's the dialogue. To my knowledge, this only occurs once in, in our first century rec- records uh, on this issue. Here it is. Jesus is telling this story, yet most scholars do not believe this is a parable for a couple reasons. One, he never says it's a parable. And number two, it's the only story that he's ever given where he actually includes names of people. So that's what's unique. So here it is. There was a rich man who was dressed up in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So he had the right color for wealth, the right linens, and he was able to finance this every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. In Hebrew, it's Eliezer, covered with sores because of lack of um, care. He was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. He just wanted the crumbs. That's how hungry he was. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus, Eliezer, was comforted by dogs. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Several things happening here. Number one, the beggar died, and he wasn't buried. First century poor meant you were taken to the local salvage yard and just burned. This is, this is actually just, uh, just south of Jerusalem, very close by. And so he, the beggar wasn't buried, but he was carried by the angels. 
and he was carried to Abraham's side. That's the father of Judaism, the father of Christianity, carried to Abraham's side. And as Muslims would argue, the father of Islam. He is the dude. The rich man also died and was buried. He got a nice burial. In Hades, where he was in torment, Hades is also known as hell. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him. So Lazarus got to be by the side of Abraham. Sounds pretty cool. If you know Abraham, pretty cool guy, left his country, his kindred, and his father's house, went to a distant land without GPS, founded a nation. It's good living. Father Abraham, this is the rich man, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, and I, I see endearment here. I see understanding, empathy even. Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Let me just pause here. Just personal application doesn't have a whole lot to do with the message. It is interesting to me that Jesus would, would show us that sometimes for God's glory, he leaves us in very difficult situations. Being without comfort, being without wealth, may be more of an indication of God's proximity and nearness in your life than it is his distance. And this was an important teaching because in, in, in literature, in Jewish literature, Proverbs especially, and even the, under the Jewish covenant when they were occupying the promised land, there's a lot of promises that obedience means blessing and prosperity. And while God may choose to bless us, he also may choose to withhold. And that, that does not mean that he's not even closer to you. Because sometimes that wealth can get in the way. And just to be honest, I'm wealthy. I'm rich. I really am. Oh, and you are too, just in case. But now, he is comforted. Lazarus is comforted. Here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been set in place. So, at, so that those who want to go from here to you, they cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered. He starts to get smart here. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Warn them. Warn them. And he gets, this is very foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus. Listen to his argument. It's a good argument. Or Abraham replies first. Hey, they have Moses and the prophets. So that's the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, um, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then they have the prophets. They've got Samuel. They've got the stories of Samson and, and Gideon. They've got Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Hezekiah, have all those, okay? That's enough. If they went, and he says, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead, 
someone from the dead, like Lazarus, goes to them, then they will repent. That's the outcome that even the rich man in hell knows is the goal. It's that the mind would change, the person would make a choice of by faith to trust in God, and that that change in mind would result in a change in heart that only happens by God's grace, which would result in a change of life. It's this willingness to follow and to obey. It's willingness to, it's, it's actually the Holy Spirit gives you the will to obey, the desire to obey. That's what it means to repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Really? I've always wondered, like, if Jesus just walked on the set of some total atheist, would it convince him or her? The set. I'm referring to, like, a TV episode. Would it convince him or her? What do you think Abraham would say? Here's the first observation of this dialogue. Jesus says there is a hell. In Hades, and I'm just referencing the passage again, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. That's the first observation here. And I just want to break some stuff down for you you may have never heard before that I think is fascinating. One of the terms used to describe where people before the resurrection of Jesus, where people went when they died, both believers and non-believers, the term used is Sheol. And Sheol had two compartments. It had Abraham's bosom, which I, that's how it's described metaphorically, a place of comfort, and then there was Hades, two different compartments. And believers whom God judged as having believed in him. He's the one that makes that decision. I'm glad it's not my job. It's, it's actually Jesus' job. When someone died and they were a believer, they went to Abraham's bosom. Doesn't that sound nice? It's not bad. If they rejected God, if they rejected his authority, they were not willing to repent. They did not want to have anything to do with God. And people make these kinds of decisions. When they make that kind of decision to lock the door of the inner chamber of their heart, God honors their decision. He locks the outside door, the outside of the door. They go to Hades, where there is torment, as Jesus is teaching, where Jesus is teaching on in this passage. Now, what has changed is that those believers that were in Sheol the, the part, the Abraham's bosom part of Sheol, those believers have actually, were considered captives that have been set free. The reason that Abraham was there, or it's described as Abraham's bosom, is Abraham was aware from Genesis that God was sending a prophet, sending someone that if people believed in by faith, they would be set free from the penalty of their sins. And that person that was coming is the Messiah, the chosen one. And so Abraham has, had been, prior to 
approximately 30 AD, first century, Abraham had been comforting millions of believers that the Messiah is coming. He's really coming. He is coming. And after the death of Christ on that Good Friday, which we'll celebrate in a matter of weeks, after the death at Real Life Church, just a heads up, after the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, Jesus went to Abraham's bosom, part of Sheol, and set all those believers free. That's why they're free. They're in heaven. That's why in Matthew's account, again, Matthew's one of those first century followers of Jesus. In Matthew's account, he specifies something none of the other authors glean. And here it is. He captures some of these captives that have been dead for 30, 50, a couple millennia, that they're downtown Jerusalem having Pete's coffee. No, no, no. You, you think it's Matthew 25 or it's there. Dead people are downtown. They're doing well. It's this part of the resurrection that's crazy. How many of you are like, what is he talking about? I have no idea. How many of you are totally lost right now and just feel like you should have gotten a fourth cup of coffee this morning? Okay. Here's the point. The resurrection of Jesus gave us a window into the fact that Jesus set the captives free that were in Abraham's bosoms, part of Sheol, and they've been released. The people who, have, who disbelieved and rejected God, and God's the one that makes that decision, they're still in Hades. But this, is, this Hades or this hell does not last forever. This is not an eternal Hades. It's coming. So are you kind of getting why we do what we do? Are we there? Why do we do what we do? Because, because souls don't die. They just don't die. Forevers are at stake. That's why, we, that's why we get up and we spend time in prayer. That's why we get up and we deny ourselves. I'm not talking about self-hurt. I'm talking about serving others, our children, our spouses, our neighbors, our friends. That's why we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as our right. It's hard, but we do, right? Okay. So then what's next here in God's chronology is the great white throne of judgment. This is in Revelation 20. And this is, at, at, when this happens, which I can't tell you the day, hour, year, or anything. I have no idea. But I know it's going to be great and white. Uh, when this happens... <laughs> At the great white throne, and I can also tell you Jesus is the judge. He's qualified. Uh, he is going to give judgment on everyone that has disbelieved in him that's in Hades. And there's no negotiation. There's no defense attorney. He makes a decision, and everyone that has disbelieved in God goes into the lake of fire where there will be gnashing of teeth forever and ever. That's why we do what we do. The gospel matters. The death, burial, and resurrection matters. And then for believers, we, we get a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Brand new Jerusalem. Incredible. Now, some of you might think that, okay, wow, uh, we should have gone to breakfast this morning. <laughs> God. <clears throat> Why we do what we do is because souls don't die. 
there is a hell, there is a heaven. So what? So what? So what do we do? What do we do? Let me ask Adam if you could go to that slide we went to last service for me, please. Why do we do what we do? We do what we do because there is actually something more precious on our planet right now, more protective than a face mask. On our planet, there's something that's actually more valuable and more needed than a, a face mask to protect yourself from contacting the coronavirus. As bad as that sounds, and I think we should be praying for our governing officials to navigate this well throughout the world. We should also rejoice that we have Christians, 100 million plus Christians in China, that are used to evangelize in their own country to make it very clear that souls don't die. But that which is even more valuable than a mask in this life is the kind of protection the cross gives us in this life and the next. It's the kind of hope that the resurrected Christ gives us in this life and the next. C.S. Lewis says this very well. In fact, Adam, I want you to find this slide if you can. I'll start to read it. Some of us who might be really struggling with this. Um, It's the last C.S. Lewis quote, Adam. May need to consider this. Back up one more, please, Adam. C.S. Lewis says, In the long run, to all those who object to the doctrine of hell, is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs to give them a fresh start? Smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary, where Christ died. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. God doesn't desire to send anyone to hell. But we choose to say, when we choose to go to hell, we choose to say, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we choose to place ourselves under God's authority, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But we don't even realize it. We could choose hell simply by saying, my will be done. I'm the center of everything that's happening. I'm me first. And hell becomes this place of torment because it's just you first. A lot's at stake. What do we do? Last slide, Adam. Give it up, and we need a break. Give it up for our senior back there at Intercom, just taking care of us. <laughs> Appreciate him. So what do we do? Here's what we do. We share the gospel. If we had a corona breakout in our own region here, and you had access to a mask, would you not do everything you could to get one? What about providing one for your neighbor? 
and for your coworkers? What if you had a, a big inventory of them? Wouldn't you give them out as much as you could? Y- the answer is yes. <laughs> I've thought of buying some for the church. You know the message of, of that souls don't die. You know where they go. You have in the power to distribute this kind of hope, this kind of mask, this kind of protection by sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And for those who place faith in him, they have the hope of eternal life. Who's placed faith in them that you know? This year, who's gone to be with the Lord? Yesterday, Penelope Jude. This year, Joyce Clary. This year, Henry Ibayan. I think I saw his surviving wife in service today. There she is. This year, my sister, Liza Hisson, who received Christ before she died. Folks have gone, but they've got hope. Do you have hope? Do your friends have hope? Share the gospel. Share the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if that's too complicated, and sometimes it is, we give you this accessory to help you accessorize your faith. We just ask you to bless people. And the way you bless people, it's pretty complicated. You begin every day and you pray for your neighbors. And I got to tell you, I love doing this because today I get to be in my house with my neighbors. Some of them I've prayed for for over five years. You know what we're doing? Studying the Bible. You pray for them. God blesses you. Number two, you listen to people. You listen for opportunities. You never know what God's doing in someone's heart. And a lot of people think they're great listeners. Well, we also think we're great drivers too, don't we? Thirdly, you eat with people. You got to eat. So you use the opportunity to be with people. You don't eat alone if you don't have to. And if it's not too awkward or weird, if you're at a restaurant, don't eat alone. Ask if you can eat with somebody. It's kind of fun. Fourthly, you serve people. You serve people. When you get a chance, most people will take service. They like help. And fifthly, you share your story. Tell them how Jesus changed your soul. And you tell them that because souls don't die. Why do we do what we do? It's because heaven is real. So is hell. And souls don't die. We're about that mission of bringing hope. That's why we're so excited about what Spencer's doing and Zach's doing at Indricum and all these campuses. That's why we, we bring snow to our campus so we can love families in our community. That's why we want families to go to Weekend to Remember for their family. A couple questions. Number one, share the gospel. Have you shared the gospel with your own children? We live in a culture that says, just leave that up to them. We live in a culture that tells parents, just leave all the decisions, the most important ones, up to your kids. Got to take the leadership role. Once they turn 18, they can do whatever they want. But when you're parenting, you're coaching. Share the gospel. Bless people. Now, in closing, you may be here and you've never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You may think I'm naive and why would people come here? We have people that come here that are not Christians. They tell me that. Okay, so that's why I know. Why not choose today to place faith in Christ? What's the downside? You're going to have hope. 
The downside is you're going to lose a little control. Actually, you're going to lose a ton of control because you're going to give it all to Jesus. But the upside is he loves you. You're going to become his child, and he wants the very best for you. Totally. Me becoming a Christian, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Me becoming a Christian meant I was going to be, man, way more self-controlled. I was a mess as a kid. That I was going to be wiser, have a great family. What's the downside of that? I want you to have it. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm going to give you a chance to right now. Because souls don't die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for friends, fellow sacramentans with whom we get to do life. And we just want to ask God that you'd open the heart of one person today for the first time to say, I want to make certain my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I know my soul won't die. I want to make certain it is with Jesus. If that's you, you've never made a decision to become a Christian right from where you're seated. I just want to ask you to do this, to confess Jesus is Lord right from where you're seated, to say Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. That's it. Right from where you're seated, say, Jesus, I believe you're Lord. I believe you were raised from the dead. If that's your prayer today for the first time, right where you're seated, would you just raise your hand? Just raise it high. If that's your decision today, to make Jesus Lord. Raise it high so I can see it. Anybody? Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. Is that your decision today? Raise your hand high. And put your trust in the everlasting one. Lord, thank you for this body that's here. Help us. Help us love unconditionally help us show compassion and reflect that souls don't die. In Jesus' name, amen.